0: So we're looking at Numbers chapter 6, and we'll be reading from verses 22 to 27. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, a few years ago, Reader's Digest did an article where they looked at uh, different words that have changed meaning over time. And it was interesting, uh, some of these words, like, for example, the word nervous. It dates back to the 1300s. And today, you know, you think about nervous, it's anxious or kind of jumpy. Originally, it meant strong or kind of well-built. The word bully dates uh, to 1538. Today, it's someone who's cruel to someone who's weaker than them. Uh, but back in the day, it used to mean sweetheart. Uh, came from a word, uh, bole, uh, which meant lover, a Dutch word. The word nice dates back to the 1300s. Today, it means kind or good. Originally, it meant foolish or wanton. Uh, the word cute dates to 1731. Where today, uh, cute is kind of pretty in a youthful way. Uh, it originally meant clever or shrewd. Uh, the word girl. Dates back to the 1300s. Today, uh, a girl refers to a female that's uh, younger. Uh, but back in the day, it referred to uh, someone who was younger, whether they were male or female. So uh, a girl could actually be a boy. Then uh, you have the word assassin. Uh, dates back to the 1200s. Today, it means someone who kills someone who's very important. Uh, but originally, it meant hashish eater. Uh, comes from an Arabic word meaning drug addict. The word "silly" dates to the 1300s. Today, it means foolish or frivolous, but it originally meant innocent or pitiable. Another word that's changed meaning over time is the word "blessing" or "to bless." And uh, we think about a blessing or to bless, and we use that word in kind of interesting ways. You know, we talk about blessing the food as if it's something you know that we have to bless. You know, we talk about saying the blessing. You know, we, if someone sneezes, we say, God bless you, kind of as a sign of, of well-wishing. Uh, we, if we do something nice for someone else, maybe we call it a blessing. And so we use this word blessing or to bless in, in several ways. And so when you talk about uh, maybe offering someone a blessing, maybe we think of it as kind of doing something nice for them or offering up well-wishes or maybe even a prayer for them. Uh, but back in Bible times, it meant something a little bit different. And it, back in Bible times, it was a wish for someone, but it was more than a wish. It could actually affect someone's, the outcome of someone's life. That a blessing in some way had power to change someone's circumstances. That the words that were said could actually change someone's circumstances. To simplify, a blessing was something that God bestowed on, uh, on people, but people could also bestow it on other people as well. And again, it was much more than simply wishing someone well. It had power. Remember back to Genesis chapter 27 and 28, um, where there is uh, this conflict between uh, Jacob and Esau over the blessing. Look at what it says in uh, Genesis chapter 27. It says, His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? for he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him uh, for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? So Jacob steals Esau's uh, birthright and blessing. He pretends to be Esau. Isaac gives him the blessing. And it's a huge deal. It's so, so much of a big deal that even after Isaac realizes that he can't undo the blessing, it's already been done. It already has this power uh, to affect Jacob's life and Esau's life as well. We see this again uh, with uh, Jacob when Jacob blesses his sons In Genesis chapter 48 and 49, uh, Jacob goes through and he blesses all of his sons. And then, as you kind of follow the trajectory of history and look at the different sons and how their uh, lots were determined in life, they kind of, uh, those blessings were fulfilled as you look throughout history. And here in the book of Numbers, we encounter this blessing. The book of Numbers chronicles the time between. Uh, when Israel left Mount Sinai where they had received the law and they were going towards the promised land. Uh, the book of Numbers is called the book of Numbers because of the census in, the, in chapters 1 and 2. Um, but it's actually in Hebrew. The Hebrew title was called In the Wilderness, which is probably a better title because it describes the time when Israel was in the wilderness. So Mount Sinai to Canaan, it's not really that far of a distance But the people of Israel again and again followed after other gods. They didn't trust uh, the true God. And so God caused them to wander in the wilderness uh, until the generation that sinned uh, died, and then they could enter into the promised land. And so it's the the time in the wilderness when they're under the judgment of God. And so getting up to this blessing, we see in chapter 1, we see uh, the census, then we see the arrangement of the camp of Israel, how the... Uh, different elements of the temple and how everything is to operate, and it's very specific in the way that God tells people to do things. Uh, then you get to the duties for the priests, how they're to handle the priestly order. You have instructions for dealing with sin and uncleanness and, and possible adultery, and then you have guidelines for special vows, and then we come upon this blessing where God tells Aaron and his sons, which, who are the priests, he tells them, to speak these words of blessing over the people. So for a few minutes I'd like to look first at the content of the blessing. What was God telling Aaron and his sons to speak over the people of Israel? And then more importantly at the end I'd like to look at the kind of the significance of this blessing for us. And I believe that this blessing not only applied to Israel but also applies to those of us who are believers in Christ. And so before we get started uh, first, we need to recognize that the one who brings this blessing about is the Lord. Again and again, it's the Lord Yahweh who's the one who's blesses. And uh, so we, after we've established that, we get to kind of the content of what is God telling Aaron and his sons to speak over the people of Israel. What are those things that are wishes, but not just wishes. They have the power to kind of affect these things in, in, the, in the people of Israel. The first thing that God tells him, is, says, the Lord bless you. Aaron is to say, the Lord bless you. Now, we've touched on this idea of blessing a little bit, but when we look at blessing in the scriptures, when it talks about God blessing people, usually it's in terms of increased fruitfulness. For example, in Genesis 1.22, look at what it says. It says, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. F- increased fruitfulness. Genesis chapter 17, verse 20, it says, And for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. And Isaac sowed in that land. And, and then you look at Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 to 13. It says, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy and so when we're talking about god blessing someone it's talking about increased fruitfulness and in the old testament when it was talking about increased fruitfulness it was usually physical and so a person in the old testament who was thought to be blessed by god was a person who had many descendants who had many uh, um, cattle many livestock many possessions Uh, There was uh, this idea that if God blessed someone, they would increase and be fruitful. The New Testament, it kind of changes. The focus shifts from the material to the spiritual. Whereas for those of us who are believers in Christ, we're recipients of every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 9, 8-11 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So as believers, we have this assurance that God will provide everything that we need and he will increase our fruitfulness, spiritually for sure, sometimes materially, sometimes he blesses us materially. But spiritually for sure, we have everything that we need in Christ. We don't always recognize that. Sometimes we get so focused on the physical and the material that we miss the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. There's a story about a father, a very wealthy family, and uh, he decided he was going to take his child to the country, uh, to a region where it was very poor, and he wanted to show his son what it was like for people to live kind of a life of poverty. So he took him there, and they spent a couple days there, and then on their return trip to home, uh, the father asked his son, so how was the trip? And the son said, it was great, Dad said, so do you see how poor people can be? The father asked. son said, oh, yeah. So the father asked, so what did you learn from the trip? The son answered, I saw that we have one dog, and they have four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden. They have a creek that has no end. We have important lanterns in our garden, and they have stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond sight. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, but they have their friends to protect them. With this, the boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. God wants us to live lives of blessing. He's blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings. Sometimes we don't recognize that. Sometimes we get so focused on what we do, don't have, and we miss what we do have in Christ. And so Aaron, the priest, speak over the people. The Lord bless you. May the Lord increase your fruitfulness materially uh, back then, spiritually now. The next thing, he says, the Lord keep you. The word keep, uh, originally the first time it appears, is in the Garden of Eden when God tells Adam to keep the garden. When you talk about keeping, it's caring for, tending, even guarding. One Hebrew dictionary defines the word as keep or to watch or to preserve. The way that God keeps his people is described in Psalm 121 this way. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. For those of us who are believers, we have this promise that the Lord will keep us. The Lord will guard us. The Lord will protect us. It doesn't mean that we won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but it does mean that he'll be with us. It doesn't mean we won't face difficulties, but it means that he'll see us through it. He'll be with us every step of the way. Last year, a couple years ago, Uh, There's a man by the name of Bert Terhart, and he boarded this 40-foot ocean sailboat, and he wanted to do something that had never been done before. He wanted to sail around the entire globe by himself. And he didn't use any GPS or any of this fancy equipment that we have. All he used was the the instruments that people had been using for centuries, a compass, a piece of paper, and a sextant. And so he started this journey, and it was, a, it was a very difficult journey. He was regularly facing waves that were like 12, 14 feet high. Uh, he had to make some repairs to his boat. His boat got damaged. Uh, he had severe sleep deprivation. It was a tough journey. But many people referred to him as the safest man on the earth. The reason they referred to him as the safest man on the earth was because he started his journey in 2019, October 2019. And he was on the boat for 267 days until July 28, 2020. During that time, the world was kind of falling apart. You know, all this stuff with COVID was happening and people were kind of freaking out. But there he is out on the ocean, perfectly tranquil, perfectly safe. And I think that's a picture of our lives in Christ. There might be dangers, there might be trials all around us, but when we're in the will of God, we are in complete safety. We're in complete security. and Because of Christ, we can rely on on Him. Because of Christ, He will not keep us from falling. He'll guide us and protect us. So that's the second thing Aaron is to speak over the people, the Lord keep you. The third Uh, is the Lord make his face shine upon you and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. These two phrases are in parallel to one another. In Hebrew, what often happens, especially in poetry, is that the author will write something and then he'll write it again a second time in a slightly, uh, the same but a slightly different way. And so that's what's happening here. The meaning is very similar but has slight uh, variations. Both of these things are in contrast with God hiding His face from His people. If God hide, hid His face uh, from His people, that means He's angry. But this first word, or first phrase, the Lord make His face shine upon you, speaks of God's delight in His people. Almost like a parent delights in his or her children. Have you ever been to a children's uh, sporting event before? You know, you have a kid that's maybe five, eight years old, and I've been to many of these. My, my son is, is too young, but I've been to them for cousins and extended family and stuff. And it doesn't matter whether it's a soccer game or a t-ball game or a hockey game or a dance recital or whatever it is. They are incredibly boring. I mean, you sit there and watch these things, and it's like you just want to gouge your eyes out. And and they're not short usually. It's like, you know, there's all this preparation and sometimes they can go on for hours or, you know, you might go to an event, you know, and maybe uh, the person that you're going to see is only in this event for a very short time and you have to sit there for hours and watch everybody else. It's really boring. You know, and then you have the kids that are, you know, sometimes not even really engaged in the game. You know, you ever been to a t-ball game and it's like kids are out there literally picking daisies. You know, they're not even watching the game. They're not even interested in the game. But when it's your child, it's different. When your child is out there playing, you want to watch. Because you want to see what he or she does. You want to see, even if they strike out, you want to, want to see them. You want to see them try to make plays. Because you take delight in your kids. And I think that's what God does for us. He takes delight in us. His face shines upon us. For those of us who are believers, he takes delight in us. He takes joy in us. His face lights up when we do the things that he's called us to do. So that's what I think is behind this phrase. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he look upon you with favor. May he take delight in you as a parent takes delight in in their child. And then the second phrase, the Lord lift up his countenance to you. One scholar named Chame Cohen describes the phrase this way. He says it's to show special regard for, to pay special attention to. Another other scholars suggest that it indicates God's will, read, readiness to help. So my son Paul is 17 months old, and he's been navigating stairs and going up and down uh, furniture recently, which can be a little bit nerve-wracking. But he'll go on the stairs, and it's it's tough because you want him to be able to learn to go up and down the stairs, but you also don't want him to split his head open. And so what I've done before is like I'll he'll start going up the stairs, and then I'll or going down the stairs, and if he's going up, I'll go right behind him, and if he's going down, I'll go right in front of him, first of all to catch him. But then there's other times where maybe he's coming down the stairs, and it's a bigger step than he realized, and You know, he's starting to realize, maybe this is too big for me, and then he'll reach out his hand, and then I'm there to hold his hand. And I think that's kind of the picture that's painted when it says, the Lord lift up his countenance to you. It's like when we are in need, when we realize that we're in a desperate situation, God is right there to hold our hand. God is right there to sustain us. God's countenance is lifted up towards us. He's there for us when we cry out to him. So Aaron speaks these two phrases over the people. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Make the Lord delight in you as, he de- as a parent delights in their children. May the Lord uh, lift up his countenance upon you. May he be there for you, ready and willing to help whenever you're in need. Then fourth, Aaron says, the Lord be gracious to you. We won't belabor that point speaks of the kindness and the grace of God towards his people. And then the final one, the Lord give you peace. Probably the last word that anyone would use to describe our world today is peaceful. There is danger around every corner. There are so many things that we can be afraid of. So many things that could cause us to worry. But this blessing is that the Lord would give the people of Israel to give us peace. There's a the popular U version Bible app uh, saw increases in 2020 of searches Bible searches by 80 percent, 600 million worldwide searches, and the number one verse was a verse from Isaiah that said, "Do not fear." It was the number one verse in India, South Africa, the Netherlands, and the Philippines. And in Ghana, it ranked uh, the top verse was Philippians 4:8, "Do not be anxious." And in Kenya, Romans 8.28, that says, In all things God works together for good. So people are truly looking for peace in the midst of the storm of life. There's so much interest in finding peace in the midst of everything that's going on in our world today. And here's a couple of things that we see about peace in this passage. First of all, peace in the Hebrew understanding is not simply the absence of conflict. The Hebrew word shalom is a word that indicates kind of fullness or wholeness. It's not just, I don't have any conflict. It's, I'm spiritually, emotionally, physically whole. That's the peace that is spoken of here. The second thing we see about peace is that peace is not circumstantial. A lot of times when we think about peace, we think about circumstantial peace, right? I'll have peace if I don't have a conflict. If I get along with my family, then I'll have peace. If I have enough money in the bank account, I'll have peace. If I experience unconditional love from another person, then I'll have peace. Yet the peace that's described here is not circumstantial peace. It's based upon the action of God. It's a peace that can be given. A peace that can come in the midst of any circumstance. Look at what it says in John chapter 14. Jesus says something very similar. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, I give you peace that's different than the peace that the world gives. I mean, peace from a worldly stand, standpoint is circumstantial peace. If there's no war, there's peace. If you have enough, you have peace. If you have harmony, you have peace. But Jesus says, I can give you a peace that's different. I can give you a peace that you can experience even if you're in the midst of conflict even if you're in the midst of want even if in you're in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of life a few years ago there was a lady named marge and she was on a plane that was board, uh, bound for cleveland and uh, as she was kind of settling into her seat she looked out the windows and Uh, What was interesting was she looked out the one window, and it was a beautiful sunset. The whole sky was bright and lit up, and then she looked out the other window, and it was dark and gloomy and ominous. And, And in that moment, she felt like God was speaking to her. She felt like God was saying this to her. You have noticed the windows. Your life, too, will contain some happy, beautiful times, but also some dark shadows. Here's a lesson I want to teach you to save you much heartache and allow you to abide in me with continual peace and joy. You see, it doesn't matter which window you look through. This plane is still going to Cleveland. So it is in your life. You have a choice. You can dwell on the gloomy picture, or you can focus on the bright things and leave the dark, ominous situations to me. I alone can handle them anyways. The final destination is not influenced by what you see and hear along the way. Learn this, act on it, and you shall be released and able to experience the peace that passes understanding. Same circumstances, but it depends on how we view those. And this blessing of God is that we get to look out that bright window. That even though there might be darkness all around us, we can look out that bright window and have peace because of Christ. So that's a little bit about the content of the blessing, that God wants these things for his people, that he wants us to be blessed, to increase in fruitfulness, that he promises to keep us, that his face will shine upon us, that he'll delight in us, that his countenance will be lifted up towards us, that he'll be ready to answer us, that we can experience peace even in the midst of the storm. But what is the significance of this? And I I was really struck by the significance of this as I was reading uh, this passage this week and studying it. Because when you think about blessing in the scripture, uh, blessing is often contrasted with cursing. So, what would often happen was when people would enter into a contract, or co- it was called a covenant back then, similar to our contract, but a little bit deeper. They'd enter into this covenant and they would make certain agreements with one another, like, I'll do these things. And if they kept the covenant, if they did what they were said they were going to do, then they would experience the blessings of the covenant. But if they broke the covenant, and if they did, didn't keep their end of the bargain, then they would experience the curses of the covenant. And if you look in some other passages of, of Scripture, you talk about the curses of the covenant, and it's like, you know... You'll be in poverty. You, you know, all these things that we talked about in regards to the blessing is kind of the opposite. You won't have peace. You'll have trial at every corner. And so you have blessing and cursing, blessing for keeping the covenant, cursing for breaking the covenant. But what's interesting is in this passage, in the book of Numbers, all the way up to this point after, uh, as we look at, looked at Exodus and, and the people of Israel coming out of Egypt and then after this, The people are going to break the covenant. Israel is going to break the covenant. They're going to follow after other gods. They're going to say, if only we stayed in Egypt, if only we were slaves, if only we went back to serving Pharaoh. They're going to break the covenant again and again and again. And yet here in this passage, God commands Aaron, the priest, to bless the people of Israel. So why is this? If they're... If they've done things to break covenant, why is God telling the priest to speak this blessing over them? Well, I think to understand that, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, God entered into a covenant with Abraham. And when he entered into that covenant with Abraham, they had a covenant-making ceremony. And what Abraham was instructed to do was he took these animals. He took like a a cow, um, a goat some birds, and what he did was he cut, it, cut them in half and set each side, one side and the other. This was not something that was, you know, when we read it, it's kind of unusual, wild, you know, it's a weird thing to do, but it wouldn't be weird in the ancient world. So he, he cuts the animals, puts them on either side, and in a covenant-making ceremony, what would happen was some, and they would even refer to it as a, to cut a covenant because these types of things happen. So what would sometimes happen is that the two parties would walk through these two animals that were broken on each side, cut on each side, and it was kind of a symbolism to say, may this happen to me, may my body be torn apart, may I be cursed if I do not keep my end of the bargain. If I don't keep this covenant, may I be cursed. Now, that's kind of common, that's kind of, you know, the similar to the way that they did things back then. But what's interesting in Genesis chapter 15 is there's only one party that walks through those animals. It's not Abraham, it's God. God is the only one who walks through those animals. And presumably what he's saying there, where Abraham has actually fallen into a deep sleep and God walks through those animals, presumably what he's saying is, even if you break the covenant, I'm going to take the curse for even if you fail me, I'm going to be faithful to what I'm promising to do to you. So then we get to the book of Numbers. Israel breaks the covenant again and again. They would be, un- they have been unfaithful. They would be unfaithful. And it would be perfectly just for God to cast them apart. But instead, God says to Aaron, the priest, the ones who represent the people to God, speak blessing over them. Speak blessing, not curse. Speak abundance, not scarcity. Speak grace, not judgment. And so then the question comes why, and the answer is because of the cross. It's because of the cross. Because Jesus' body was torn to shreds. Because Jesus died on the cross, he took the curses of the covenant. And that's the only reason why the priest could speak blessing over the people is because Jesus took the curse. The same thing is true for those of us who are believers in Christ. That's why this passage applies to us as believers. Because Jesus took the curses of the covenant. Jesus took the curses of our law breaking and sin. He was torn apart for us. And again, the priest is the one who spoke this over the people. And how is Jesus described in the book of Hebrews? He's described as our great high priest. The one who speaks blessing over us. And so on the cross, essentially what Jesus was doing was he's taking the curse. And I can imagine him from the cross saying these words. As his arms are stretched open wide blood and sweat pouring down from his brow. He's experiencing the curse and says, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Ladies and gentlemen, the blessing is ours because of the cross. These things apply to us because of the cross. And as believers in Christ, we should rejoice in these things. These things should move us, cause us to live lives of gratitude. If you're not a believer, you can experience these blessings today. You can have the peace that passes all understanding. You can experience God's delight and God's love today. I'd love to talk to you more about that or Patrick or uh, a number of others. We're going to close in one last song. And the words of this song, the lyrics of this song is basically... What we just read, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, etc. And as we sing this song, may it not just be a song, but may it remind us, may we think of this as the words that Christ speaks over us. The words that Christ speaks over us from the cross. The words of blessing, not cursing. The words of hope. The words of peace. And as we do that, may we be moved to love and gratitude for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you took the curse for us. That even though we fail, even though we've broken our end of the bargain, you're a faithful. And that you went to the cross so that this blessing could be ours. So that we could have all spiritual blessing. So that you would guard us and keep us. That no one would be able to snatch us out of your hands. So that you would take delight in us. So that you'd be there ready to help us whenever we have need. So that we could have peace even in the midst of storm. Lord, we're moved by all that you've done for us. We're moved by your love and your grace. Lord, as we sing this song, may these words of blessing pour through our hearts may it move us to love you more and more. In Christ's name I pray.